reading from John's Gospel. I'll be using the New Living Translation, but feel free to follow in the versions provided. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on her Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your very dear friend is sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Verse 30. Jesus had stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. When the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, they assumed she was going to Lazarus's grave to weep. So they followed her there. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. But someone said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then, Lazarus shout, then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. This is the word of God for the people of God. It's a real privilege to be with you this morning. Uh, and to share God's word here. Uh, I'm thrilled that David has trusted not only me uh, this morning, but to my good friend and colleague for many years, the Reverend Trevor Hudson, who comes next week. Um, he's still based in South Africa, but he's across here doing some teaching, so I'm here to break you into the accent. Um, I got a bit of that oaky twang going, but he's, he's the real thing, believe me. Uh, and just for the record, you are the ones who have the accent. <laughs> it's 
It's all relative, isn't it? It's also wonderful to be here speaking about God's mission because that's what it means to be loving generously, doesn't it? To be about God's service in the world. A stretching and at times I'm sure uncomfortable reality for our lives that God calls us not just to love, but to love generously. And whenever Jesus is involved in the expression of God's love, you know that he is oriented towards the other, that he is someplace, somewhere, where sometimes good and polite people don't want to be seen at the margins, expressing God's hands-on love. Then, of course, it kind of ruins it, and it says love generously in our title. And so that takes away any kind of limits that we might want to set in any way on the expression of God's love. And so I chose this passage this morning as a way to access at least part of that because it's such a rich uh, topic. It certainly needs a lot more than we can do this morning. And to place this idea of loving and loving generously in the context of one of the responses to the sight of Jesus there in front of the tomb with Lazarus inside and the people around him saying, see how much he loved Lazarus. And I want us to unpack what that phrase maybe means in the context of this wonderful story, which itself is too large for this Sunday morning. I didn't even read the middle section where Jesus and Martha engage in a conversation about Jesus being the resurrection and the life. And my homiletics professor would be turning over in his grave if I didn't at least reference that as the key point. But I've referenced it now and I want to move on. But it is important. It's a critical understanding of the context of this, as is this beginning of the story where in the mystery of God's action, Jesus waits two days before he goes and gets it an earful from both Mary and Martha about how it would have been different if he had come at their time. A deep mystery, which again, I need to just refer to, Professor, and move on. These and some other themes are right there embedded in this vital and wonderful story, but I want us to focus this morning on that last part where Jesus is engaging the folk around the tomb. But first of all, go back to the beginning when it tells us that Jesus was in Jerusalem teaching, doing his ministry, and this message comes, and it's from Mary and Martha of Bethany. Now, the word Bethany was lost in history as we lost the oral tradition and the uh, place itself and didn't really know what it meant. Some thought it meant something like house of figs or house of dates, but the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls helped us understand what this word really meant. Now we know that Bethany means the place of suffering. And now the preaching can begin, right? Jesus goes to the place of suffering and takes his disciples with them. Ready for that journey, followers of Jesus? Because that's the focus that I want us 
to look at today, the missional implication of this text, the, the invitation around this great truth that Jesus is resurrection and life, that in Him there is something that transforms the reality of life, is also a challenge and an invitation for you and me to accompany Jesus to the Bethanies, to the places of suffering in this world some of which were mentioned in the opening prayer by uh, Bill. A, a reminder that we live in a world of brokenness and that we are, together with Jesus, the resurrection and the life, the ones who will make a difference, participating in God's mission in the world, loving generously. So let's look at just three things that that might mean for us. And the first takes us back to the tomb. And I want to read again verse 32 where it says, When Jesus saw Mary weeping and saw the others wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. You get the emotion? And then it moves on to that uh, verse 36, which is widely known as the shortest verse in Scripture, as if that makes a difference. Rather, it's the things that were happening in the verse that should really be remembered, that Jesus weeps over the circumstance and the reality of Mary and Martha's uh, breadwinner taken from them and in that culture as, as single women or widows are left as orphans in the world with nobody to take care of them. Jesus weeps at a society that can stand outside this tomb of death and see no hope. And then verse 38 says, while he was still angry, he arrived at the tomb. This is an emotion that is remaining with Jesus. And the question for us who follow him, who follow this Jesus, who go to the margins and meet him, therefore he beats us to it, is to ask ourselves whether we will allow our hearts to be broken by the things that break the heart of Jesus. Will we be vulnerable to the pain and the brokenness in the world around us so that rather than shut it out, we journey to the places where that pain might be, to the Bethany's. Now, I come from Oklahoma City, and we have a Bethany. But that's just a diversion, right? You get that? Because I know, even though I'm not from these here parts, <laughs> and I even can say y'all now, but I know that you've got a Bethany too. It might not be a place name, but it is a place of need in every community in which God has placed it. That Bethany might be in the bedroom down the passage from your own in the place you live. It might be down the street in the neighborhood where you reside. It might be at the desk next door to the place where you work. It might be the person riding alongside you in the golf cart might be a place to which God calls you in this city, in this state, or beyond. But there are Bethany's where Jesus already stands and weeps, angry at the status quo, angry at what is, and wants to know whether those who follow him would be willing to engage too and open their hearts 
to allow the pain to enter into us so that our emotions welling up like his might lead us to participate in what God wants to do to bring wholeness to this world. Jesus weeps for this world and invites us to join him there. Then standing there at the tomb, still angry, wanting to make a difference, addresses those around him at the entrance to the tomb and says, roll the stone away. An invitation again for others like you and me to participate in God's mission in the world by removing the barriers, by taking away the stones that stop people from seeing beyond their circumstances and that stops us from seeing them. The barriers of our own lives, the barriers created by sometimes our insularity from the pain at the margins, the privileges of where we are and where we have been, that we are not a part of some of the most broken situations in the world and helps us see those and helps those see us so that we can be in ministry together. Jesus says, roll those stones away. And the response that comes forth is not what maybe we would expect, this eager anticipation and enthusiasm to make a difference in the world and set this Lazarus free. It is the voice of Martha that says, careful, Lord. He's been dead four days. The smell is something awful. A reminder of the sometimes unpleasant realities of engaging a world that is broken and in pain. Sometimes maybe there's a romanticism about our desire to be in God's mission that would see that God has called me to places until those places lack air conditioning and waterborne sewerage and food that we can recognize. And then the reality of, Lord, this is not that easy. And we hear Martha's voice and we hear the reluctance to believe that anything can be different in the midst of the vastness of the problems that confront the world still. Martha had already affirmed she believed in Jesus and believed him to be the resurrection and the life and believed in the life everlasting but didn't see that heaven can come on earth as we've just prayed in the Lord's Prayer. And the invitation is to see beyond the limits of what we see to what yet can be if we allow Jesus who is with us to minister God's grace in the midst of this situation. And so they move the stone. And then Jesus after his prayer says those words addressing the darkness of the tomb that as many times as I've read it still makes what's left of the hair on the back of my neck stand up straight. Lazarus, come out! An engagement by the God of all eternity through his son Jesus that God's presence in this world still makes a difference and those who are in darkness can come to the light. Those who have died in spirit and in the pain of their circumstances yet can live. 
those who are broken can find wholeness because God is speaking in our world and to our world and pray God through us who walk where Jesus walks still. And Jesus' words have effect. And Lazarus comes out, bound from head to toe in the bandages, the cloths of death that was the custom of the day to wrap him up from top to bottom. Must have come shuffling out. The scripture's kind of non-informative of some of the picture, but you can imagine it, can't you? A man bound, shuffling out of the tomb. And then Jesus addresses those around him with the instruction to unbind him and let him go. Why? Because they're standing there with their jaws on the floor, I guess. Frozen by this action of God at work and seeing Lazarus there and I don't know, maybe the reality of the tomb being open and that smell, I don't know, or just seeing this man who was dead now alive has frozen them in place, in place, and Jesus has to say, hey, do something. And so is the invitation for us still who follow Jesus to be engaged in accompanying those who come from their brokenness to their new lives in Christ, who come from their isolation to the community of God's people, who come from the margins to be included again in the community of humanity to say to them, I will walk with you and help unbind you and help loosen you so that you too can live life in its fullness through this Jesus who is amongst us to bring those who have been made alive by Jesus to the enjoyment of the freedom of their new life, unbounded by the bondage to death. You see, the journey of Jesus to the margins with his disciples is an invitation and a challenge for you and me still 2,000 years later to hear that call wherever Jesus might send us. Whatever the specific task might be, those who follow Jesus are those who see the lead of the one who goes to the Bethanies, who goes to minister to the Mary and the Marthas, who cannot see what Jesus could see, but were prepared to stay there through their questioning and their pain so that they could be aware that yes, there is hope. But it takes for us as followers of Jesus, the opening of our hearts,